0: Plushcare.com/slash/weight-loss.
1: Hello, my name is Jess Phillips, and this is yours sincerely. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and bad kind, and know the power of putting words on paper. So, in this podcast, I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them: someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realize how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Libby Clegg, MBE, is a Paralympic sprinter who has won nine major gold medals, including two at the 2016 Paralympic Games in Rio. This year, she won a silver medal at the Tokyo Paralympics and published her debut book, My Life with Hattie, six years with a dog who does everything. Today, I'm excited to talk to her about the letters she would send to three people who mean the world to her. So, hello, Libby. How are you?
2: I'm really well, thank you. How are you?
1: I'm quite tired, but other than that, I'm good. It's very lovely to talk to you. I feel always in total awe of people, any sort of Olympian, Paralympian people who can make their bodies do amazing things. (laughs) So far from my skill set to be able to make my body do... Like, get up a flight of stairs most days, I feel like I've achieved something
2: Well I think we are normal people. Are you? We are very
1: normal people. I can't believe that people who, uh, (laughs) not to insult you straight off the bat, uh, I can't believe that people who have the tenacity to train so hard to achieve what you have achieved, gold medals and amazing achievements in sports. I I just think that that must take so much dedication. And maybe it's because in other people's lives, people have skills that don't, you know, we, we don't, they're not in races, basically. <laughs> we don't make them compete with other people who are also good at that.
2: I've definitely got a screw loose, definitely a bit, you know, it's rattling around up there.
1: I just think that you have to be a certain. Yeah, you have to be a certain type of character to put yourself through that.
2: Uh, Yeah, I totally understand. But then other things that people do completely, like, blow my mind as well, so...
1: (laughs) Yeah, I suppose so. But I I, (laughs) I just, like, you know, like when people say you can push through the wall when you're exercising, that's never happened to me. I am just, like, I'm going to die the whole time I'm doing it. And I hate it. Every single step of any form of exercise, I am, like, this is the worst. Do you
2: feel good afterwards, though?
1: Always feel good afterwards, feel... And feel like it wasn't that bad. But whilst I'm doing it, I feel like that about almost everything. Though to be fair, like when, you, when you're writing a book, you feel like it's the worst thing you've ever. Why on earth did you decide to do this? Or like when you're about to go, I'm about to go make a big speech. I think, why have I agreed to this? This is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm a fool. So maybe it's like that. But do you not like get knackered? <laughs>
2: <laughs> do you know the only other person that's asked me that was a five year old. <laughs>
1: But do you not, like, I just imagine, I can't imagine what it feels like, like, I'm watching people, like, tennis, I like to watch the tennis, when they're, like, (laughs) three sets down or whatever it is, like, the other person's obviously going to win, I'm always like, God, I'd throw in the towel at this stage, my husband's like, that is why you are not a high-level sports person, because you, I just feel like, oh, God, why are they not out of breath
2: I mean, don't get me wrong, I I do get tired. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I mean, I'm a sprinter, so, like, it's 90% chat and 10% work. You know, we're pretty lazy. (laughs) That's
1: true. That is true. Sprinting, I I was not bad at sprinting at school, but anything over that distance, it's like torture. Like, the 800 (laughs) metres, just vomit afterwards. (laughs) so i'm very impressed by you <laughs> frankly thank you is, uh, is is what i will say so you know even if you're only doing it for short periods of time sprinting still i would be definitely in tears and close to death uh if i tried to do it so, so i find it an absolutely remarkable thing so this podcast is all about letter writing are you much of a letter writer
2: no i'm terrible at writing letters it's one of those things that i think i should do and then never do
1: yeah, like people I think often the idea is enough. Like you think, Oh, I'll write a nice note to somebody and then you never do it. Do you send <laughs> Christmas
2: cards to people? I do send Christmas cards to people, but again, it's one sometimes I'm that awful person that's like there on Christmas Eve <laughs> or Boxing Day, giving them the Christmas card.
1: I um sometimes write them and then don't send them and then but I've put them in the envelope and I just said I'll send them next year and hope that I haven't written anything annually specific in that particular (laughs) Christmas card it's hard now in the Covid years though isn't it I definitely would have mentioned Covid in in that period and like for you like you know it's like a big year you you definitely might mention like the Paralympics yeah you couldn't you can't you can't use last year's cards I don't think Personally,
2: no, no, probably not try. this year.
1: Do you know what I think is going to be a great quiz question of the future, isn't it? The Tokyo Paralympics and Olympics. Because oh, definitely. Because it, it didn't happen in the year <laughs> that the name of it is.
2: I always found that really confusing as well because I was like, yeah, the Tokyo 2021 Games and people were like, no, no. Why didn't they the just Tokyo change 2020. the name of it? And it? Well, all the branding was there, 2020. There was no getting away from it. And I think they probably had already put all that branding up everywhere pre-Covid, and then they couldn't go back.
1: I felt felt it was quite confusing. Also, I don't mean to be terribly British-centric, but I much prefer it when the Olympics are at a time of night that I time of day that is more convenient to me. I know that that's a dreadful thing to think and say. Um, I mean, um,
2: I'm pretty sure all the other countries think that every other year as well.
1: (laughs) That's true. We all think it. We're all as bad as each other. But I was a bit like, you know, I've come home from the pub and just accidentally watch things. I actually found the Paralympics seemed better the coverage seemed more at reasonable times I don't, whether they i was just watching a lot of um you know reruns but it felt like the programming on channel four i don't know why i just found it to be more watchable there you go I don't know, I have no <laughs> idea why but i did like come home from the pub one night and come across that new one then the new triathlon the one that we won like a mini triathlon and for ages, I was just like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I was like, why are there, like, men and women for a start off? And then what? why are they, like, tag-teaming each other? Just didn't, like, a relay triathlon. It was weird, but I enjoyed it.
2: I like it when it gets a bit weird like that. It's
1: like all of the cycling. Nobody actually knows what's going on.
2: <laughs> no. It just makes it more interesting to watch, though, because everyone is confused.
1: But the sprint, everybody knows that. It's literally the most classic in the field of all games. Everybody. It's it's the big-ticket event, so you, you've you got to try and make it more confusing next time. You've got, to, you've got to throw in a new rule. That's what we've got to try and do in Paris.
2: Some of the Paralympic events... You know...
1: unflatterable what is going on in some of so,
2: so some of it? I just think even I even I've been in para sport for years and I I get confused.
1: Also, the the, the grading system. It's so confusing.
2: <laughs> it's just isn't it?
1: impossible to. Just...
2: <laughs> I can't even explain it to anybody, let alone somebody that's just watching it on the television that happens to come across it.
1: But that's why I think I like it. Because it is confusing. It's like I'm like, and my children have lots and lots of questions to ask about like the grading system that I simply cannot answer. They're like, you know, uh, just like, would this person be allowed to be in this race? There's a whole lot of those questions uh, that go on during the Paralympics, and I don't know any of the answers or how any of it is worked out. But if you don't know, that makes me feel considerably better. Do you have any, like, really precious letters that you've received that you've kept?
2: Do you know, my mum's still got a letter that I received from a fairy when I was about five.
1: (laughs) A fairy?
2: Yeah, she was called Buttercup. I had a thing about fairies when I was little.
1: I don't want to break your illusions here because, obviously, if you say that you don't believe in fairies, which I didn't just do, a fairy fairy dies. We wouldn't want to be responsible for that. But have you ever suspected that the letter from Buttercup was from your mother?
2: (laughs) I had a strong suspicion it was from my mum, but at the time I think I was very deluded and I thought a fairy had written me a letter. But my mum went some very... Extreme lengths to make this quite convincing because she'd put like glitter and things all over it as well. And the fact that she probably was about to have my youngest brother, so her fourth child at the time, I thought it was, you know, looking back, it's quite. Quite nice of her to make such a big effort. And what
1: number are you in the order? I'm number one. You're number one. <laughs> I'm, like I'm the first one. I was about to say, if you were, you know, uh, that it would be wildly impressive if you were like number three and she was about to have number four because you've definitely, definitely by that point given up on the making an effort. <laughs> it's definitely. What, is what I, I think. I'm number four of four. So yeah, uh, you know it. I feel like. I didn't get any letters from fairies. It's all I'm saying.
2: <laughs> I need to try that one because my son is two and a half now. That age is perfect. W- was he not able to
1: go to Tokyo with you?
2: No. So my my mum very kindly looked after him for like a whole month, which I think was was pretty impressive because if you don't have a child, you know, on a regular basis, it's quite hard work. My mum had him for the whole whole month, so I was very grateful. And you know what? I don't. It was like an 11 and a half hour flight. I don't want to take a child. Yeah, no. do, you, off. But do you
1: think if, he ha- if it hadn't have been for Covid, you would have taken him, maybe? He would
2: have gone, yeah, yeah. definitely. my, my and your mum would have gone, yeah. yeah, mom yeah. Would have, my mum would have been that you know, poor woman on the plane <laughs> trying to you know, soothe a screaming child for 11 and a half hours. What is
1: your son's name? Edward. Edward. Well, Edward would have behaved for your mum on the plane. He would have behaved for you. Just, yeah, just not for me, yeah. I'm afraid to say... That's just the rule. Um, My mum once said to me, and this is good, it made me feel better, if they're awful for you but good for for other people, actually, you know, you've done a good job because you have trained them that they should behave with other people. So in Paris... There you go. You could...
2: Yeah, I mean, I might I might be doing a different sport in Paris. I'm definitely not going to be running, that's for sure. Not,
1: so a, a more cracker sport that is harder to understand. Is that what you're telling me? Definitely. You're do the yeah.
2: Thing. But <laughs> definitely easier on the body. You know, I'm not the most academic person in the world. So, you know, I feel like I need to use my body, abuse it as much as possible while it's still going.
1: So you're going to do a different sport. I, when London 2020, 2012 rather, I was like in about 2008, I had just had a baby myself. I don't, I was like, I reckon I could get good enough at archery to get into the 2012 Olympics. <laughs> obviously, that was rubbish, right? Because I know that I get knackered from just doing any sort of physical. I thought, well, that just seems like something I could do. Obviously, I made no effort to do that or in any way did it. Uh, obviously, because I did not. Take part in the London twenty twelve Olympics, as I feel everybody will know. And then I feel like now I've missed the window as somebody who lives in Birmingham to take part in the Bir- in the Birmingham yeah. Commonwealth Games.
2: Yeah, you could have done. And I mean, archery—you can pretty much be any age. Exactly. So, but I'm not. It's too
1: soon. Do you think that there's time yet for me to get good enough at archery by next year?
2: I mean, I don't know what your hand to eye coordination's like at the Dreadful. moment. <laughs> maybe a slim chance then do you have any letters
1: from anybody like eminent or famous
2: i mean i was i was talking i was actually showing somebody recently cuz i'm i'm kind of like pretty chilled out about most things Oh, I've had a letter from the Queen when I... Um, no, you get a letter from the Queen? Yeah, I know. <laughs> And I told you about my fairy letter first. Because <laughs> you do like the Buttercup...
1: Uh, the Queen, I think, would be pleased with that, The Buttercup trumps the Queen.
2: I think so. A fairy.
1: Was that to get your MBA?
2: That was to get my MBA. And, and I feel like she's invited me to a couple of garden parties before. And I do keep the letters because they're in beautiful paper. So, you know, and they've got beautiful envelopes and they're, you know, very fancy. But I recently... Mm,
1: and the gold on the edge of the yeah, card. Yeah, yeah. the edge of the card is gold. They are very beautiful letters from the royals.
2: Very. But recently, I had some friends round and I had a congratulations letter from Boris Johnson on the side. <laughs> I just left on the side. And my friends like, this is incredible. Like, you've got a letter from Boris Johnson. I was like, yeah... To me, it's just like, well, I don't know. It'll go in my nice letterbox that I've got with lots of fancy letters. I will be keeping it.
1: Regardless of what I might think of him, he is the Prime Minister of the day. So, you know, it's still
2: historic um, that you have a letter from the Prime Minister. I mean, what is quite funny is, because I compete for Scotland, I also got a letter, or shall I say PDF, from Nicola Sturgeon as well. PDF. I got an email. I got an email with a PDF.
1: Literally, the best thing that's ever happened on my podcast because normally people don't have letters from politicians that I have to work with. So this is brilliant. Um, so you got a PDF from Nicola Sturgeon.
2: A PDF, yeah. So I got I got an email. I presume from somebody in the Scottish government, and then and it attached was a PDF. But Boris had actually actually signed it. So he he has physically signed it. So it's not a secretary's. Multiple, multiple Paralympic and Olympic letters and, and sign them all. But yeah, and I, I got PDF from Nicolas Sturgeon,
1: if I may be so bold. And it's not necessarily. I mean, if I had to pick which one of them I liked more, I'd definitely pick Nicola Sturgeon. But I think it's. I think that it, Boris Johnson showed more class there in that instance.
2: Definitely, it it did make me laugh.
1: Yeah. Politicians love to write handwritten letters. It's really like a currency in politics to write letters. So you should definitely keep the letter. You should definitely. Also, you know, he might be a really historic prime minister for, I mean, one reason or another. And so, you know, it's quite good to have a letter from a historic prime minister. Like when your son is older and like when he's clearing out your house and he finds a letter from the prime, you know, like that's impressive.
2: That's it. They're keepsakes, aren't they? They're important. I mean, I don't, I don't put anything. Like I've got my MBE stuff, and I've, it's in the cupboard. It's terrible, really, that I just sort of hide these things away. But then I just think, oh, what about your gold medals? Oh, they're they're in the cupboard as well. They don't come out.
1: When you say like in a cupboard, can you see into this cupboard? Has it got a glass front?
2: No, no, definitely not. No.
1: You've just put them away in like a drawer, like where you keep the.
2: It's miserable. It's it's absolutely miserable. Why don't you display them? Well. Um, I don't know I'm just I don't know they're kind of for everybody else really to enjoy rather than me I, I when I win a medal I, I kind of feel like they're for other people like the enjoyment is for them so you know so my medals mostly pretty much all of them have been touched by hundreds of children that get to see them at schools and things like that take them around so they're just put in a cupboard what profoundly delightful thing to say
1: that even though that I think that you should like big yourself up a bit more and put your medals out Uh, I mean if I ever win a gold medal which is obviously so unlikely even with my archery based plans I just feel like I would want that to be like on display maybe I wouldn't I don't know but that saying that you winning them is for the enjoyment of other people is just like never never occurred to me that You might feel that way and that's really noble and lovely and definitely when British athletes or British sports people do well, they're doing well for all of us and that's how it feels as somebody watching who loves to watch it and uh, watches it religiously. That's how it feels. It feels like we're there with you on the track.
2: Yeah, like for, for me it is literally like the most important thing about that whole event... Is me actually physically running? I get the biggest buzz of competing, and sort of whether you know a win, lose, whatever. That to me, that is that's the buzz for me. And then the medals and the the podium—that's for everybody else. I'm not fussed about that bit. The medals just obviously a, a signifier of what you've achieved, and that that that's the physical thing that like kids can touch and be inspired by. And for me, that's more important to share that with others than really myself I'm not really that for myself because I've I've got the memory of of that experience what it feels like and the physical medal is for for kids to be like oh my gosh this is amazing like,
1: Was it weird in Tokyo because there was no people there
2: Yes it was so strange I love a crowd as well I'm a bit of a performer and yeah and I was a bit you know I felt a little flat actually that it was less crowd but I mean, there was hardly any crowd. There's literally like hundred people, but the Japanese people were so hospitable. They were lovely. You know, it was it was such a shame that we weren't able to feel them, and be there closer to them. But yeah, no, it was it was it was a very surreal experience.
1: Let's hope that the French put on a good show then. I mean, much better time zone is all I'm going to say.
2: <laughs> and, and, and much better travel.
1: Yeah, considerably. Yeah, an hour away on a train. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely going to be considerably better for Edward and your mum, by the sounds of it. <laughs> so uh, I've asked you to write three, well, uh, think of three letters that you want to send letters to. Uh, the first one is the person who means the world to you. So who would that per- letter be to?
2: I mean, I was debating about this one because the person that probably means, well, definitely means the world to me is my little boy, Edward. <laughs> he means the most to me. Just because, you know, that unconditional love of a mum, isn't it? You know, they're just your absolute world. And he just he just makes me happy every day, even when he's been a grot bag. It just fills me with love and happiness and joy. <laughs> It's
1: funny how that can happen. I used to just be like, oh, I should really not like you. But still, I like you. (laughs) It's tricky, that. Um, So you want to write your letter to your son? Will it be to him now or when he's older? Do
2: you know what? I think maybe when he's older, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, like the idea of what you'd say to him when he's older.
2: I think so. Pass on my, I don't know, I'd like to say wisdom.
1: And so so he's two and a half...
2: He's two and a half, yeah.
1: So how did that affect your training and things?
2: I gave myself a window and I was like, you know what, like I've got like a month, two months to like, you know, try. Because I was, basically I thought, you know, I still want to come back and compete, so I need to kind of make sure I'm pregnant within a specific time frame, but also I still wanted to compete that season as well. So yeah, it, it, I, I, I was very fortunate that I, Got pregnant very quickly.
1: So you got pregnant very quickly and you competed in that season. To the novice, explain to me what that means. How old were you when you started... How old were you? How old was your son when you went back to, like, training?
2: And he was four weeks old.
1: Oh, my gosh.
2: Yes, it was crazy, actually. But, you know, I just wanted to do something for sort of, you know... I don't know, for me as well. So I wanted to get back into my routine. My body, I felt like I had a different disability. My limbs were not attached to my joints at all. They were all over the place. And I just thought, I must look hilarious. Because your proprioception changes, your balance changes when you obviously then are growing a person, it gradually changes. And then all of a sudden, you don't have a person in your stomach anymore. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't stand on one leg anymore. (laughs) And my balance has changed. So... It took a little bit of time to get my body back to normal and it it doesn't... I don't know, it's like like jelly, basically.
1: Mm, I'm 17 years on and still not there, but um, I'm hoping my body will get back to normal eventually.
2: It took me quite a long time, you know. I think a lot of people... I think, do you know what? It's really weird when you have a child. I think, well, when you're pregnant and you're deluded, you think, oh, it's fine. My stomach's just going to bounce back to normal. You know, you're going to give birth and then it's just going to all go back. And it doesn't. It, it's horrendous. It's saggy and horrible. And, you know, you, th- you feel like gross.
1: <laughs> it really does. And I remember saying to my husband after my first baby had been born, I said to, in the hospital, bring me that pair of jeans and I'll wear those home because I just had pyjamas. And he was like, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll bring you my tracksuit bottoms. And I was like, no, 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 bring me my pair of jeans. And he was like, no, 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 Jess, I'm going to bring you my tracksuit bottoms. Because in my head, like a baby having left my body meant that I would be able to fit back in my jeans. <laughs> Like, even though it was still there and... But it's just... Like, I just couldn't come to terms with it (laughs) that i basically still looked pregnant for quite a long time.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was the same. It took a long time. And your body's just jelly. It doesn't... It takes time to, like, stiffen back up again.
1: So you went back to training when your baby was four weeks old. That is... I mean, this is the the bit where I say that you're, you're like a superhuman because... You must have been so tired.
2: Do you know what I was? I was I was quite tired, but I feel like when you're a mum, you just you're like a robot. You like you're like a walking zombie sort of thing. You just it's, you're on autopilot constantly.
1: You're not sleeping in the nights, and then you're training.
2: Yeah, to, I know. To sprint. It was a bit mad, but you know, I, I'm not really mumsy, and I I didn't really want to go to any mum group things. So I thought, oh, well, I'll just go training where my friends are <laughs> so I get to see them every day. Um, but do you know what was quite weird? When I was pregnant, my guide dog Hattie refused to work. What? <laughs> yes. So this is something that I didn't expect when I was pregnant because obviously with all the timing and things, and I used Hattie to get around. And basically, and it apparently is quite common, it's happened before to, to other guide dog users, but basically she decided that she just didn't want to work. So she wouldn't work for, like, six months. <laughs> she refused.
1: She could tell you were pregnant?
2: She could tell I was pregnant. I think it must have been, like, a hormone change. It was really bizarre. And she would go for a normal walk with somebody else, but she wouldn't go with me for, a, like, a working walk.
1: What did you do? How did you cope?
2: I just wandered around. <laughs> <laughs> I just—I made sure I was outside mostly with somebody, majority of the time. It, or I'd occasionally use a cane, which I absolutely hate. Uh, but I was gutted because I was really worried that they were going to retire her, and you know, didn't she's my little companion. I was like, I don't want them to retire her because we go everywhere. When
1: Edward was born, did she, did she change? Like, did she go back to working?
2: She went back to working. She was ha- quite happy to work. I mean, it took her a little while to warm up to Edward. I'm not going to lie; she wasn't a fan. She just—he wasn't interesting to her because he was just like a, a little blob on the floor that made noise. And now they are best friends. She loves him to bits because she's very food orientated. So she now chases him around the house, you know, looking for any sort of leftover.
1: I honestly think that anyone who has a baby should have, uh, especially uh, one that is weaning. You're you're like teaching it to eat, and then for the next year when they cannot. Not throw everything on the floor. Should have a dog? Because they just clean it up after them,
2: don't they? Literally. Mm? that is It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. 100% they they should get a dog.
1: So your son, Edward, do you think that when he grows up, he will be like, no way, my mum did this amazing thing?
2: Uh, I don't know, maybe... I mean, I've tried to explain to him a little bit what I do. Yeah, is he uh, aware? A little bit. He knows I run, because he he, he'll tell me that he wants to run like mummy. But then, you know, I don't, he obviously doesn't understand the magnitude of it or anything like that. But It'd
1: be frightening if he did, I think, to be honest. It would
2: definitely yeah, would yeah, be. Yeah. But I've shown him videos of me running on the television. He's not that interested.
1: No, my—I mean, my children pay no mind to anything that I do. So, and that, and they are considerably older. So, uh, but that's,
2: I mean, maybe when he's older, his friends will probably find it cool, and he won't. But that's 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 kids for you. Yeah,
1: but when he's a grown-up,
2: imagine how you'd feel about your
1: mum if she was an
2: Olympic—and
1: you know, imagine how you'd feel. You'd be like, my gosh. My mum was an amazing sportswoman. That's, like, a cool story. It is, isn't it? It is definitely very cool. And do you think that since you had him, he's now your drive, like, uh, you want to do well for him, you want to keep the experiences going, the awe and wonder of what you do for him?
2: I do. It's really strange because, like... I've obviously had different motivations previously to having Edward. And, you know, it was always about medals and times and, you know, that, that level of success. And I think for me now, success is just very different. It's about being happy and Edward being happy. And that's really what motivates me to carry on. But it's also, I want to be able to teach him, like, certain values and, like, I want him to see that I'm working and I've got goals and I you know, have drive because I just think it's really important for children to see that.
1: And, uh, I mean, obviously normally now I say do you think this person knows how much they mean to you, but it would be impossible for a child not to... I mean, they not cognizant, because they haven't got the emotional intelligence yet to know. Um, that you, but, you know, actually, that he knows better than most people do, actually, because children know it intrinsically, and that's because they're safe with their parents, while well, those who are lucky enough for that to be the situation. So he definitely knows how much you love him.
2: <laughs> he definitely does.
1: And that he's your world. Yeah, it's funny when somebody takes over your world quite so much. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like a little too much.
2: <laughs> I mean, I was naive thinking, oh, my life is just going to carry on as normal even though I have a child in and it. And
1: you and every other person having their first baby, don't worry. You, you... It's a very regular uh, experience, I think. People always have plans, don't they? Oh, I'm going to go straight back to work or I'm never going to work again. Or, like, I'm just like, just wait and see what happens. I think it's take every day as it comes. It's probably the best.
2: It's those people that go, I'm not going to turn into one of those mums that just talk about their baby and don't go out anymore, and then they're the ones that turn to those people.
1: I have to say, for the first two years of my son's life, my first baby's life, me and my husband would go out, like, we'd, like, make the, you know, the effort to get dressed up and go out for dinner with each other or something, and all we would talk about was Harry. And I was just like... Oh my God, what has become of us? We've got nothing <laughs> I didn't read a book for like seven years, and oh, wow. yeah like I just was like what has happened to me and I really thought I wasn't gonna be one of those people, but it it's just everybody is you are all obsessed with your first child, I think, so you were lucky number one.
2: Mm, I was lucky. I was lucky. As <laughs> number everyone.
1: four, let me tell you, it felt like it waned. No, it's not true. <laughs> I definitely was the favourite. I think everybody thinks that. Um, so how would you sign off your letter to your lovely little boy?
2: Oh, this is a hard one. Um, I think just by saying that he's given me just that I love him and he's made me smile absolutely every day and he's brought me out of... You know, those low days that you have when I'm feeling a bit down and that I just thank him for it, really.
1: Yeah. Lots of parents have low days. There's no Most people have low days in their lives, but there is something about the fact that when you have a child, you've just got to cope. Yeah, like, it's not really an alternative.
2: Yeah, no, because all that old person's relying on you, aren't they? Yeah. So you've got no other option. But he, he does, he makes me smile every single day and brings me so much happiness and... I don't think he'll ever know how much happiness he's given me until he probably has children himself, and then maybe he'll know. But, yeah, he's just given me so much joy.
1: You didn't know until you had a child, did you?
2: No, not at all. I didn't think I was capable of, like, loving something that much, like another person that much, and it's like another compartment opens in your heart and just, you know, it's filled. (laughs)
1: So um, your second letter I've asked you to uh, think about is to somebody who is no longer around. So who would that letter be to?
2: So this letter would be to my first ever guide runner, Lincoln Asquith. And he's not no longer with us. He is still around, but I've just lost touch with him. And he was the first guide runner I ever had. He was an ex-international athlete himself, GB athlete. He was an incredible athlete.
1: And his name was Lincoln Asquith. Yes. That's a name that bequests brilliance on somebody, isn't
2: yeah. it? He, I mean, he is just a phenomenal athlete in his own right and he, he literally guided me. I mean, he was he was knocking on like 50 when he was guiding me as well so he wasn't like a spring chicken but he could run literally that fast with me. He was so he was literally like running next to me and like not even out of breath, looking at me, telling me how to run, like what, you know, telling me where we were in the race, what kind of, like how far away we were from the finish line and all these things. And he was just absolutely incredible. And he would be the person I would write later to, just because I, have, I haven't seen him in such a long time. And he was such a huge part of getting my international career started. And, and it's very sad.
1: Explain to me exactly what it is to have a guide runner, be a guide runner. Are they, are they talking to you throughout the process?
2: Yeah, so... While you're bit, running. While you're running, yeah. So their, their job's way harder than mine. because they actually have to talk during it. But like, it's literally like doing a three-legged race attached at the wrist rather than at the foot. So it's quite difficult. I mean,
1: maybe we should make a three-legged race if you were looking to make it more interesting, the sprint. We could actually do that
2: yeah do you know what maybe i should do the commentary for the olympics as well (laughs) i think i'd make it more interesting
1: definitely so you're tethered at the
2: wrist yes and you're so my guide will communicate with me so they have to come out the start blocks with me at the same time they have to sort of tell me how where we are at certain points on the track so like 30 meters you know we do something different so you come out of the acceleration phase into like a an upright phase so it's like different parts of the race you need to know different things and for 100 meters it's pretty straightforward but for the 200 meters you're on a bend and there's lots of other things that come into play so it's, it's it's a big job it's it's a lot of responsibility you need a lot of trust and your communication has to be really good so and then that's just like the running part of it then you've got like the personal side of it where let's face it if you don't get on with somebody You do not want to touch them. (laughs) So you need to get on really well because you are working with each other in very close contact. And it makes it easier when you get on with someone that you're working physically that close to. (laughs) It's a job that is very much not really valued, in my opinion. It should be put on a pedestal a lot more than it is because it's so difficult. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Do you feel think that when I mean it must do? I don't even know why I need to ask this question, but when you win, do you think they feel like it's a win for them? Like you know, like you are winning together?
2: No, it's really strange. So, Lincoln, no, I don't think they do. I think they think they're doing it for me, and they don't. I mean, all my guys that I've had don't feel like they are, you know, they are deserving of the same amount of credit. And I, for me, you know, it's a team. It's a team effort. You know, I wouldn't be able to do it without them. And, you know, they're completely instrumental in in my success. So yeah, I think they're very, you know, the guide runners I've had have been very fortunate, been very humble.
1: I just looked up Lincoln on Wikipedia and he's from Birmingham, which makes me like it makes me like him more. Um, so yeah, he's he's from Birmingham. So he was like fifty and running you round the track and he was he ran at Birchfield Harriers, which is where both my parents used to run, incidentally. So, when you say that that Lincoln was very, very, very important in your career and your progress and things, do you you know do you have to do all of your training with him as well as all the competing?
2: Yeah, so I'd train with him maybe twice a week on the track and then do some other other bits on my own just because I need to work on I needed to work on my technical ability, which you know the guide can only help so much with that some of that I'd need to learn myself but yeah no so at least twice a week and then you'd be competing together going on camps together international competitions you go away together where you could be you know my poor guide runners have ended up being stuck with me for like Tokyo for example a month um so yeah no they come they come everywhere with me and it's um you know it's it's a really it's a hard job because again when it's so then, are not just about running on the track. It's like then helping me in the hotel to find my breakfast or my lunch or my tea and making sure I get on the right bus and things like that. So it's not just the running element of it. There's so much more to it than just that. Could you take
1: Hattie with you to...?
2: I could. So Hattie has been... She mostly goes domestically with me. So I've flown with Hattie mul- multiple times. She's very good flying. Um, When I go abroad, I don't tend to like taking her because each country's quite different with rules and things. And it's a little bit of paperwork, and then you have to get vet checks when you're over there. So I try and avoid taking her away and let her have a little holiday, say, in Scotland with my family while I'm doing that.
1: So Lincoln is much more than just the man who ran side by side with you. you're, You're like a proper team when you're out competing and things and why is it you lost uh, how did he just retire from doing it or
2: yeah so he he retired from from guide running. i think he was just sort of getting felt like he was getting a bit old and it's all, you know it's then the injuries and things and then we just sort of lost touch i'm not great on my phone he's not great on his phone and then we've just gradually lost touch over the years and um yeah I just find it really sad and i, I like trying to get, he's not on social media or anything either, so he's really difficult to get hold of as you can imagine
1: i mean he's a fifty seven year old man from Birmingham. I'm gonna say that that is fairly standard for are they're, they're not so much on the social <laughs> media
2: no, but um yeah, he's a really special special person to me, and you know I would really like to reconnect with him just so I can tell him how much I appreciate him
1: yeah, do you think he knows though do you think do you think he knew like how important he was to you
2: I don't know maybe but then I've no don't feel like I've ever got the opportunity to tell him and sometimes think it's good to tell someone you know how much they mean to you
1: I agree so how would you sign off your letter to Lincoln Asquith the man with the greatest name ever I'm going to find him in Birmingham and just <laughs> congratulate him on his excellent name
2: um, I just tell him that I'm extremely thankful for starting me on my journey and he gave me so much valuable advice and I don't think he'll ever realise how much he he means to me I just appreciate him I'm very grateful
1: that's lovely I'm going to find Lincoln Asquith at the Commonwealth Games I'm going to (laughs) <laughs> That's where I feel. He might not even live in Birmingham, just because he's from Birmingham, doesn't he, mean... he?
2: He is still in Birmingham. He's still in and Birmingham. It, yeah, he's still in Birmingham.
1: It I can't be. Like, Birmingham, I know it's the second biggest city in the UK. However, it is like a village where everybody is connected somehow. It cannot be hard for me to find Lincoln Asquith. I, uh, I'm <laughs> going to set this as a challenge to myself, <laughs> to find Lincoln Asquith.
2: Well, you will have to let me know if you find him. I will, I certainly I mean, he might not want you to tell, <laughs> tell, tell. <laughs> i think he will I, mean, I, hope so. I just want to meet him
1: for his brilliant name i mean
2: when you're given a
1: child a name like lincoln asquith i mean it's literally the names of presidents and prime ministers um, <laughs> literally those two names it's like you know i'm creating a great man is what i feel like you are saying when you call exactly your darling definitely lincoln Asquith. what a great name what a I bet i mean he sounds like a great man we'll be back for Libby's final letter after a short break.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
1: So your final letter I asked you to prepare was to somebody who doesn't know what effect they've had on your life. So who would that be to?
2: See, I I think I find writing left, like, difficult because I don't feel like, you know, you ever really tell people how you feel and what they've done for you. And, again, I've been thinking about this and I would say it's got to be my athletics coach, Joe McDonnell, Just because he, I mean, he obviously knows the medals that he's helped me win. But, you know, he has coached me voluntarily for six years and put up with all elements of me. And he's been with me through some really good times, obviously being successful, and then my really low points in my life where I had uh, mental health issues after Rio. And he's just been a great... Rock for me throughout this sort of final sort of parts of my career, to be honest. And I don't think he'll ever realise how much he's given me because when I first came to him, for example, I felt pretty low. I didn't have very much confidence at all. And he's really, really built me up and helped me realise my worth. And he's been there for me literally through the good, the bad, and the ugly over the past few years.
1: I mean, he's obviously built your confidence in that I'm going to turn my hands to another sport. I mean, he's done a good job. I
2: know, he he was very encouraging of me doing it as well. He was very supportive of it. I mean, I think he's a bit gutted because I'm not obviously going to see him every day now and we we would go for a coffee every morning before training. But, you know, he, you know, he's, I mean, I'm meeting him tomorrow for a coffee because we just want to have a catch up and he's been such a, a huge part of my life. So, yeah, I think he's the person that, doesn't realise how much he's done for me.
1: And you said that you had struggled after Rio. Why was that?
2: Do you know, you know, I was saying earlier about success and, you know, prior to having sort of Edward, I felt like success was about what colour medal you won and what time you ran. And in Rio, I was the double Paralympic champion, so I won, won both my events and I was a world record holder. And it made me miserable. It made me so miserable. Um, That's so and interesting. Yeah, I'd achieved my my dream, and I felt empty, numb, lost. I felt so incredibly in low, and I just couldn't explain to anybody what was wrong, because everybody thinks you should be happy because you've you know you've done this amazing thing. For me, it just made me feel like I had no purpose. I didn't know who I was. And I couldn't explain how I was feeling to anybody. And it was really, really difficult. Um, Gosh, that's
1: that's the exact opposite of how people, I think, would expect you to feel. But I suppose if you, like, you achieve everything, (laughs) that you set out to achieve, you know, what, what, what next, I suppose, is the...
2: Yeah, I felt like I just didn't know. I knew who I was as an athlete. I just didn't know who I was as a person. And I just felt so empty and numb. I felt like I had no feelings. It was very bizarre. It was a horrible, horrible feeling. I would not wish it upon anybody. And you know, I mentally viewed myself as a very, very strong person. And I just it completely took me by surprise, and I just spiraled. So it was it was a really difficult time. Joe helped me. I had my family once say I admitted that I had a problem. <laughs> I was said I was not well rallied around me and Hattie my guide dog was you know there every day (laughs) giving me cuddles because dogs don't care you know if you've had a good good day or a bad day they're just happy to see you anyway so she really helped me through it as well and it was it was a it was a rough time but Joe's just been an absolute rock over the years, and you know, even like when I've had Edward and stuff, it wasn't the easiest thing coming back, and he was there encouraging me, you know, <laughs> cheering me on <laughs> to get back to my uh, former self.
1: Wow, I mean, it's it's such an unusual thing that when you think the thing that will make you happy is is the thing that makes you feel sad.
2: And I mean, do you know now? So t- Tokyo, I've had I've been riddled with injury this past. 18 months. It's not been great for me. Just because then I started to... Obviously, when the Paralympics got cancelled, I lacked motivation as well, so which didn't help.
1: And also, COVID can't have helped.
2: COVID, yeah, just didn't help. And I, I had really bad injuries and things. Did and you not
1: train during COVID?
2: I could, bits and pieces. Yeah. It was very... It like, was like, you, know, you
1: could go out so it, yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I couldn't train my usual training group. I had to be in a really significantly smaller group. And, you know, I like being around lots of people and it was it was a bit sad really but Tokyo for me you know everybody was going in like oh Libby you're going back into you know reclaiming title you know to keep your title you know and all this you're reigning Paralympic champion I was like I'm just going there to have fun like I've trained I'm here to enjoy myself I'm here to just finish my athletics career and what will be will be and my my two uh, my individual event, I didn't run particularly well. I, I basically got an Achilles injury, which i s- have still having problems with now. And um, I wasn't I wasn't really able to run. I knew I had one or two really good races left of me, and I was a part of the relay team. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to save my Achilles for my last two races, which are going to be in the relay, because I was determined that we were going to get in the final. And we ended up. We actually initially. It was incredible being a part of a team because it was a mixed relay as well. So it's one of those one of those first time races again. So there was myself
1: That confused everybody who was watching in the pub after the pub, yeah.
2: Yep. So there was a visually impaired person, which was myself, running into Johnny Peacock, who was a leg amputee, running into a cerebral palsy athlete slash neurological condition. This
1: is amazing. amazing. Can I just say you've not just mixed sexes here
2: and disabilities? Yep.
1: You have mixed. Disabilities and presumably the classification that nobody understands was this mixed as well.
2: Yeah, it was crazy. So that I,
1: sounds brilliant.
2: Yeah, Ali ran into Nathan McGuire, who's in a wheelchair. So it was so cool. But you know, it was all it was all mixed. So you know, you just didn't know who was going to win. And we actually initially won a bronze medal, and then China got disqualified because they they broke a couple of rules. Um, so American won, and then we. <laughs> We got a silver. But it was... What rules did China break? So they broke two. Their guide runner dragged their athlete...
1: I was about to say, when you were talking about uh, Lincoln, I was thinking, is there rules about how he's not allowed to, because like, couldn't no somebody pulling, just pull you No pulling, dragging. Yeah. Well, that does seem like that would be hard.
2: <laughs> it can be done. You can be you can be dragged. It's, this is a blatant drag as well. So the Chinese guy got disqualified for that, and then actually they completely missed a handover. Like, they just didn't even touch the other person, and they just ran. <laughs> so they broke two rules. So I didn't feel that bad. But it was great being a part of a team. I knew it was my last ever me. I'm never running on a track again in competition, it was my last ever event and it was great because I got to share that experience with Johnny Peacock who is, you know, a legend and um, Ali Smith and Nathan Maguire, it was their first ever Paralympic medal so for me it's actually my proudest Paralympic moment because I got to share that experience with three other people and obviously two of them, it was their first Paralympic medal and I was just like, this is just so special because I'm not just happy for myself then, I'm actually happy for for them as well and get to be a part of that memory for them for the rest of their lives. How
1: does it feel when you stand on a track and know you've dedicated your whole life to this thing and you look out and this is the last time you're ever going to do it? I can't, most people don't know. When that's happening, do you know, like most people, they haven't made the decision before the moment that it happens sort of thing, or it's much like a wind down. (laughs) But you don't wind down at the Paralympics. (laughs) It's not a wind down.
2: I knew, I knew like 18 months prior, just before COVID, that I was, Tokyo was going to be my last games. And, you know, it felt so good being on that for the last time
1: last games on the track Libby last games on the track um, come on
2: <laughs> it was great just being a you know having that knowingness it, it sounds really bizarre but there's like a sense of contentment I suppose and yeah just en- enjoying that moment and you know I had nothing to lose at the end of the day so
1: when you told Joe that would be your last time how did he take it
2: he, you know, he he's he's super supportive. He he just said, you know, you know when it's it's time for you to to do it, and and he, you know, he said he, you know, if I wanted to carry on, he would have continued to coach me, but he just knows that I know in my heart that it's time, and you know, I'm still going to talk to him. He's Still, not only just obviously my coach, but a friend as well. So, do you still run on a track, even though not in? I haven't been back on the track, no. I'm having a good break. So you just don't go on the track? Like, do do you run, like... I don't... I do not run at all. I am having a very long break. I mean... Libby, you're talking my
1: language now. The not running is the language I understand.
2: <laughs> the next time I'm going to run is sports day when Edward's in primary school. Oh, no, that's totally <laughs>
1: I... unfair. Like, imagine.
2: Yeah, but I won't have trained. It'll be fine. Even Stephen's then. No, it's in the not country. England
1: Stevens. I also wouldn't have trained, and I never won any track medals in anything. I am. Cl- where do you where do Where do you live in the country, Libby? I live
2: in Loughborough. I'm not too far. from you, I was going to
1: say that's too close for comfort, frankly. What if our children <laughs> ever ended up? In- Luckily, my children are way older, so we, they, this this won't cross over. But to the parents of Loughborough, good luck with that. So, how would you sign off your letter to Joe McDonald?
2: Okay, it'd be another thank you to be honest thank you for all the support that you've given me sticking by me and up for me at times when I've got myself in trouble um, and just been an, uh, an incredible friend
1: So we had Little Edward Lincoln Asquith and Joe McDonald. were there any that you uh, were like surprised that they were the person that you picked or
2: I mean, not really. It, it, there's so many people that have had such a huge impact on my life. So it's trying to work out who I want to dedicate it to.
1: I find this about athletes quite a lot when you hear them speaking, is that there is way more of a team effort that goes into individual sports then people realise that... I just thought you were just really talented and you just turn up at the... You turn up at, like, the the Commonwealth Games or, like, you know, the World Championships, like, and you just just do it because you're brilliant. Uh, Obviously, like, there's, like, people training you in, like, psychology and people training you in, like, everything. Nutrition, performance lifestyle, everything. Performance lifestyle, what's that? Is that, like... You have to, just live. to try and
2: make sure you get a good balance.
1: Like, go to bed <laughs> early, is that...?
2: Well, it depends. Some people do have gaming issues and do sit on their like Xboxes and Playstations till stupid o'clock, so maybe they get spoken to about that. But some people, it's just, like, you know, making sure that you're more organised, getting into a better routine, maybe having something else going on outside your sport, which is also really important, having friends outside your sport, all these sorts of things. to help you with education, everything.
1: Can I just say, I feel like politics needs this, uh definitely. because i feel like we're definitely not balancing this lifestyle thing right so i think that maybe we should have this this i'm going to suggest it i'll i'll, I'll get a law uh that is changed so that we could maybe have some lifestyle coaching
2: maybe we should um, send a letter back to boris boris yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh it has been such a pleasure to talk to you libby you have been uh you know genuinely it's fascinating to hear about the life that is so different from most people's (laughs) lives but uh it has been a total pleasure talking to you so thanks so much for talking to me
2: thank you very much for having me
1: oh it's been a pleasure Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you follow Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips on the podcast provider of your choice. And why not write a letter to your friends telling them all about this podcast? And you can also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod. Goodbye.